Welcome. This talk was recorded at Insight LA in Long Beach. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at InsightLA.org. Well, originally, I told Wendy I was going to talk, and the name of my talk would be The Buck Stops Here, but I changed my mind. I put it together and said, eh, I'd hate this, you know. So I've redone it to not one, but two. And Zen, it's all about Zen here. Zen is a paradoxical path. And it's uh, founded on the words of Bodhidharma, which you have probably heard, uh, that go like this. A special transmission outside the scriptures not depending on words and letters, pointing directly to the human mind, seeing into one's nature and attaining Buddhahood. Not dependent on words and letters, pointing directly to the human mind. But as a practitioner, you find that you attend a lot of Dharma talks and study the Buddhist scriptures as much as anybody. So much for that good idea, right? You know. And there's a vast number of texts to study beyond the Buddha's teaching. There's Chinese Chan masters and the subsequent Korean, Vietnamese, and, and Japanese uh, masters. So it seems like there's more, not less, of this uh, dependence on words and letters. And although it anticipates the sudden liberation of adherence, you know, that you have an epiphany and there you are, you're good. Your daily practice and study appear to be, in fact, gradual culmination, cultivation. You practice and you practice, just like we all do, right? Okay. And those stories of the slaps and hits and harsh words of Zen masters that instantly just illuminate the uh, victim uh, seem to be legends of the past. I've not heard of anyone being slapped or hit, actually, or anything like that. It's always a curious question of people about Zen. You do, or you have the option in some schools of Zen to do koan work, which is a form of teaching. I think I've talked to this group before about this, that uh, you practice or you get posed puzzling situations or questions that are designed to just mess with your rational mind. But there is an answer, as one of my teachers says, and the answer isn't chocolate cake. The answer to the question, what is the sound of the single hand, is a really commonly heard koan in our culture. There's a lot of good jokes around it. And in Zen, paradoxically, we make these four great vows, none of which are possible to keep. First one is sentient beings are numberless. We vow to save them all. And delusions are endless, and we vow to cut through them all. The teachings are infinite and we're going to learn them all. And the Buddha way is inconceivable, but we vow to realize it. So the practice of Zen is confusing and that is its purpose. That's its point. It is the way in through your confusion. So Zen challenges the way in which we view the world. We view the world dualistically. We think in terms of right and wrong. We think in terms of ups and downs. We think in terms of good days and bad days, right? And we 
judge things. They call it the eight worldly winds that shape our perceptions. Uh, there's praise, there's blame, there's fame and shame. We seek pleasure and resist pain. And we have successes and failures. We have a certain dualistic point of view on our lives and the lives of others. It makes sense, sense actually. It's how we manage to live in this world of form. And Zen calls this opposites thinking. If you ever hear, don't do opposites thinking, that's what they're talking about. There's always some pithy thing that you don't understand the words of. We exist in form and naturally we perceive these distinctions between forms, right? I am a separate person and I do have an inner life with thoughts and concepts and emotions. And I have an outer life involved in surviving, involved in achieving things, meeting expectations, maintaining a certain moral attitude and obligations. And it's just natural to do comparisons, to have judgments. You have to make decisions and those are the tools we use. This is the world of delusion. It's a form of opposites thinking. Much of mindfulness teaching addresses the mental suffering that results from this delusion. It's brought on by our conditioned program thinking. And living in this world of form is living in this relative reality. Everything is relative because of the distinctions I draw, you draw between me and you, between me and my dog who's letting me know he's really hungry right now. He's this. <laughs> I keep seeing. Yet Zen emphasizes another reality, two realities. There is the emptiness of all things. All things, including the self, were impermanent, were changing all the time, and were dependent on other things to even exist in this world. And this form, it's made of a myriad of other pieces or other forms. And every form around us is made of that. Everything is empty, non-existent. We do not have a self-nature that is independent. You're not separate from all that you're aware of. You're just a part of the whole universe. Your personal view on all this is just ego-generated. It's a self-centered view and it's actually arrogant. That's what we are. But Zen teaches these two truths. We have a relative reality where you are a separate being with a self-centered relationship with the world and how important you wants the world to be. We have our resistance in this relative reality and our opinions about every little thing. And then there's the ultimate reality the emptiness of all things. It's a temp I'm a temporary being experiencing this world, living in it. My preferences don't really matter. They're empty. I have to accept. It's not even an I in that. There is just an acceptance of how things are. Zen teaches these realities are both true simultaneously. This is a typical Zen confusion. Killer, how can these both be true? How many Zen Buddhists though does it take to change a light bulb? 
It takes one to change it, one not to change it, and one to both change it and not change it. This is how all Zen logic goes. And the Heart Sutra asserts your form and your emptiness. They're both. The final verses of the Diamond Sutra point to the impermanence of the relative world. Just a lovely little poem. So should you view this fleeting world, a star at dawn, a bubble in a stream, a flash of lightning in a summer cloud, a flickering lamp, a phantom, and a dream. While I was writing this talk, I sat here looking out on my patio and I've planted a butterfly garden, many milkweed plants to support so that I can enjoy and the monarchs can enjoy being together and populate the world with more monarch butterflies. And I can see them come and go and sit on the flowers and rest on the plants and they dance together in the air. It's very beautiful. I watch the wind as it moves the plants to and fro and it's, you know, it's been very sunny these days. And I live near some water, so there's a bunch of dragonflies flying all around and they buzz and stop. They're really exciting to see come by. And there's wasps hovering over all the flowers, landing in to pollinate. And I have a, a bird that sits out there and that just mumbly chirps all the time about lovely life. It's just fun. And then the world of relativity comes crashing in. I think about those wasps, how they're scouring the plants for monarch eggs and baby caterpillars to eat. I've tried several techniques to repel them. You know, I don't want to kill them. I just want them to go away. Uh, but they're relentless and there's a never ending stream of them. I'm really frustrated so much. I so much want to have baby caterpillars and monarchs hatching and cocoons all over my porch, but it's not happening. Nothing has survived for many months now. And needless to say, I sat there and I lost that loving feeling about the whole scene. Relative reality smashed in. This is what Zen master Sung Song taught when he said, everything is created by mind. I created a problem there. It was all about me and what I wanted. I know a wonderful person whom I'm fortunate enough to have as a friend and as a great teacher. Her life was threatened by a catastrophic illness for a long time. These are her words from a recent conversation. Throughout the therapy, she experienced the loss of her career, her house, and her health. She experienced all of this as an endless retreat. The bell never rang. The bell never, ever, ever rang. It was her choice, though, to resist and suffer in anxiety or fear, or to fully surrender, fully surrender and be with the moment, or as she says, to dissolve into each moment. Her suffering was so clear to her when it was present but she let the suffering die on its own. The fear was a feeling and only a feeling. It could be felt without building it up into a story. The fear was merely, she says, the ego mind's reaction to the situation of her body. 
She chose to dwell in each moment with the vastness of being, not the little illness. Little illness didn't touch the deep, real level of that total inner silence where the vibrancy and oceanic openness exists. She remained beyond that opposites thinking of subject and object of I have a disease. The illness was not being reborn again and again in her mind. It couldn't attach to any energy and make that suffering story. Every moment was like that for her. And the circumstances of her illness let the aliveness of her true self be very real. The circumstances supported her to go through the doorway of a larger reality rather than the prison of the story of her illness. And best of all, what she said is that each moment became an opportunity, another breath, another chance. And it isn't possible to express in words this experience of the absolute reality. These stories point to it, as all words do. They aren't the experience, of course. Zen teaches that these two realities are both true and the same. They're identical. The Heart Sutra asserts that your form and your emptiness, there's not a difference between your form and emptiness. There's relative reality and there's ultimate reality and these two truths exist simultaneously, not opposites. Just as there's no day without night, for there to be this ultimate reality, there must be the relative reality. They are not one, they are two. They're not two. If you've heard the saying, delusion is enlightenment, that's what they're saying. Not one, not two. Psychiatrists say, don't worry, you're not deluded. You only think you are. And that's just true. These days of amplified and accelerating turbulence, it isn't easy to remain equanimous. I imagine all of us do struggle living in these times. And it's even harder to live in this world of delusion in this form and access enlightenment, a liberating moment. Our practice supports us though. Thich Nhat Hanh taught peace. And he has a mantra that he suggested that this same friend reminded me of recently. You can use it as you go about your day. Breathing in, yes. Breathing out, thank you. To everything, and everything that goes on. And another great teacher, Another approach, in the Korean tradition, Sung Song teaches don't know. In answer to the question, what is this? Don't know. Just a relaxing into the moment. And note that it's not, I don't know. There's no subject and object, it's don't know. Dogen has a great image for me that he taught about our perspectives on life. 
He talked about imagining that you're walking in the ocean with your head at the water's surface. While the wind may whip the waves of the ocean surface, we walk with our feet rooted solidly on the bottom of the ocean. I just love that. But finally, you need a good poet to point you in the right direction. I've modified his poem a little. This is Do Something With Your Body by David Budbill. Yak, yak, yak. All these intellectuals ever want to do is talk. They don't, they think with words we will get them somewhere. Why don't they take a hike or catch a fish or cook a meal or cut and split some wood or make love or dance? Why don't they do something with their bodies? Maybe then they'd begin to know what to talk about. The teacher said as she sat there talking to her paper, yak, yak, yak. So thank you. Thank you for listening and being here. And I know we've got a great group here. So if we open it up to questions and I don't have to be the only one to answer them, uh, it's a dialogue as we've had before. You can either raise your hand where, I, where we can see you or you can click the raise hand button in the Zoom app. But uh, please hold your hand up uh, until one of us can acknowledge. Anthony? Oh, I unmuted you. I just wanted to thank you for your talk, uh, Cindy. It was excellent. Thanks, Anthony. How are you doing? I'm good. I missed your talk yesterday. <laughs> well, uh, all of these talks are uh, great for uh, our left brain. You know, that, that talking about Buddhism, uh, coming up with a map, how we're going to get out of suffering, uh, but they're not walking the path. So you were probably walking the path and uh, you didn't need to hear a whole bunch of talk. <laughs> the, the wonderful thing about technology is there are replays. Don says he records them and I have caught a few on SoundCloud before and uh, Hungpo is one of my favorites, of course. So, And you... You're going to become the expert in Hong Kong, America. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Definitely enjoyed your talk. Thank you. One of the key phrases to me in um, sharing of the Blessings poem is, uh, may I have an upright mind? And perhaps your choice, of course, talk about what that means. We're all back. Well, I really want to thank you before we leave that this has been great. I really do like the breakout sessions. That was that was terrific. Terrific. Thank you for the suggested idea, Bonnie. Um, one of my first teachers was Victor Bird there in Long Beach, actually, though he's retired now. And he ended many talks with the sharing of the blessings, which I'd like to share with you. Um, I think I'll say a sentence of it. If 
and you repeat it, if you will. I know, that doesn't work so well on Zoom, does it? I guess if you're all muted, you can choose yeah. to repeat it or not. I think okay. it, it can work. And, uh, okay. Yeah. Okay. okay, here we go. We'll give it a whirl. Through the goodness that arises from my practice, the goodness that arises from my practice, and through this act of sharing, May desire and attachment quickly cease. May desire and attachment quickly cease. And all harmful states of mind. And all harmful states of mind. Until I realize nirvana. Until I realize nirvana. In every kind of birth. In every kind of birth. May I have an upright mind. With mindfulness and wisdom. Austerity and vigor. May the forces of delusion not take hold. Nor weaken my resolve. The Buddha is my excellent refuge. The Dharma is my protection unsurpassed. The Sangha is my supreme support. Through the power of these, through the power of may darkness and delusions be dispelled. Thank you. Thank you all. Have a lovely day. Thank you. Thank you, Cindy. You have just listened to a recording from Insight LA in Long Beach. For more information, please visit us at insightla.org.